Hey, everybody. It is Monday, October 16th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, how was your weekend? It was okay. I, I'm feeling this war, you know, and I and it's it's hard for me to kind of go out and not think about it, to be totally honest. Mm-hmm. But of course, I'm a parent and I had to, you know, take my daughter to all of her various birthday parties and things like that and play dates. Also, she was sick for about two or three weeks and whatever she had, I think my husband and I both have. So, um, oh, yes. Flu season. Sick <laughs> here season we go. Begins now. So yeah. that was my um, non-eventful weekend. What about you? So we're still having members of the family come and meet baby O for the first time. And Alex and I were able to break away for the first time. And we had our first post-delivery date three weeks in. So that was very nice this weekend. Where did you go? A cute little Italian restaurant in Brooklyn, just a few blocks away. But it felt very nice to have an hour and a half break. Though we did come home and experience a very fussy baby on Saturday night. Though thankfully, she then quickly got to bed afterward. As we've said before, those memes are all true. All of those parenting expressions. It's like, you stay out, but, you know, your kids still get up at the same time. Or, you know, like the the kids are unaware that their parents are doing anything besides just taking care of them. Right. I hear that a lot when it comes to daylight savings, which I believe that doomsday weekend (laughs) happens in a couple of weekends from now. Very true. We'll talk about it when we get closer to it. I believe it's the first Sunday in November. So we're not quite ready for um, darkness at 430 in the afternoon. A couple more weeks of light, folks. A couple more weeks of light. All right. Let's get to the headlines here. Uh, We're starting, of course, with the war between Israel and Hamas. Israel on the verge of a ground invasion, plus the growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza. And what we know or don't know about the more than 100 people that were taken hostage by Hamas. And some new threats from Iran here in the U.S. The latest on the race for speaker. Does Jim Jordan have the votes? And as New Yorkers and others head south to Texas and Florida, locals say that they are being priced out of the market. Where are they going for affordable homes? Plus, Suzanne Summers passed away at the age of 76 following a very long cancer battle. And live from New York, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey both made appearances on SNL's premiere. Plus, Mosh will have On This Day in History. Jill, your clue today is... It's pretty, pretty, pretty good. (laughs) We could definitely use a little Larry David on a day like today. All right. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowing on Sunday to, quote, demolish Hamas as his military prepared to move into the Gaza Strip. They are in search of the Islamist terrorists whose deadly rampage through Israeli border towns killed more than 1,300 people and shocked the world. Nearly 150 Israelis and foreigners, including Americans, are currently being held hostage in Gaza as Israel prepares its invasion and continues airstrikes against Hamas targets. Israel has told Palestinians in northern Gaza to evacuate to the south, to southern Gaza. More than half a million of the one million Palestinians who've lived there have already done so. Israel has cut off the flow of food, medicine and electricity to Gaza, but it did reopen water at the urging of President Biden on Sunday. Israel supplies about a third of Gaza's water. The situation, though, is dire at medical facilities across the Gaza Strip. The AP reports that overwhelmed doctors in Gaza are struggling to care for patients that they fear 
will die once generators run out of fuel. Hamas says that more than 2,300 Palestinians have died. It is unclear at this point how many of the 1,500 Hamas terrorists found dead inside Israel are included in that number. Now, it comes as the Israeli military is preparing, as I mentioned, to invade the Gaza Strip with tens of thousands of soldiers. According to some details given to The New York Times, the order is to capture Gaza City and destroy the enclave's current leadership. The military has announced that its ultimate goal is to wipe out the top political and military hierarchy of Hamas, which has controlled the bordering Gaza Strip since 2007 and led last week's terror massacre. The Gaza invasion expected to be Israel's biggest ground operation since it invaded Lebanon in 2006. It would also be the first in which Israel's attempted to capture land and at least briefly hold on to it since its invasion of Gaza in 2008. But this is a risky operation. It could lock Israel into months of bloody urban combat, both above ground and inside hundreds of miles of tunnels. Israel has long avoided an invasion because it involves fighting in a narrow and tightly packed sliver of land populated by more than two million people. And at the same time, there are those hostages. Israeli officials say Hamas could kill those Israeli hostages, use Palestinian civilians as human shields and have the territory basically booby-trapped. Tens of thousands of Hamas gunmen are thought to have entrenched themselves inside hundreds of miles of underground tunnels and bunkers at various depths beneath Gaza City and the surrounding parts of northern Gaza. Israeli military leaders expect that Hamas will attempt to impede their progress by blowing up some of those tunnels as the Israelis advance above them and by exploding roadside bombs and booby-trapping buildings. Yeah, this is a mess for Americans familiar, any veterans who listen to us who are familiar with what happened in Fallujah and the Western provinces of Iraq uh, as they fought the insurgency. Think about that, but think about an entrenched enemy that's been there for decades, um, having the whole place wired. And that's the big concern is that Hamas is setting a trap here for the Israeli military, that this terror attack was so beyond the pale, they knew that Israel would have to invade. And now they're forcing Israel onto their land, their home court, so to speak hoping to be able to draw Israel in and create a lot of casualties. That's one of the many reasons Israel has been trying to push Palestinians to leave northern Gaza since Friday, worried about a high casualty toll. Speaking, you know, reality here, a high civilian Palestinian death count, bad for Israel, good for Hamas, very sadistically. Uh, The more Palestinians who die here benefits Hamas. It'll get the world, the Arab world and the Western world, frankly, to try to hit pause on the Israeli invasion, saying you've done enough here. The casualty numbers are too high. And so the Hamas, at the same time, while the Israelis have been urging Palestinians uh, to leave northern Gaza, this is a nine mile by five mile area, basically a 20 minute ride south below the area of Gaza City or a several hour walk since there's a lot of destroyed infrastructure. At the same time, Hamas has been trying to force people to stay, saying, stand up for Palestine. Don't listen to the Israeli propaganda. In some cases, Hamas has set up roadblocks, in some cases, taken people's IDs away to get people to stay put here. Nonetheless, it appears that more than half the people have cleared out, but that still means a couple hundred thousand people are there. Some have a difficult time, whether they're elderly or young or in hospitals, evacuating the area. So that's the situation there. The Israelis first put out the message on Friday to get Palestinians to leave. They should give them 24 hours. That got extended throughout the weekend. Uh, Israelis want to be able to have the area clear, so to speak, so they can just go up against Hamas without the potential for a lot of civilian casualties here. 
Notably, Hamas has set up its infrastructure in civilian areas that includes, and this is the Washington Post reporting here, a major bunker under the largest hospital in Gaza, that's Shifa Hospital, where right now there's 35,000 Palestinians uh, staying right now. So it makes for a very, very, very difficult situation for the Israelis going in there, trying to eliminate the terrorist infrastructure without creating too many civilian dead. And so this will last weeks. It could last months, depending on what unfolds here, how long it takes the Israelis to capture it, what exactly Israelis mean by the destruction of Hamas. Hamas is embedded there. It's the regime. It does social services. It does military services. So it is embedded within Gazan society. Tens of thousands of people within Gaza are part of the Hamas establishment there. So what exactly are we talking about here? And one of the things, Jill, that Hamas is depending on, and there was a meeting between a Hamas leader and the Iranians over the weekend in Qatar, is support from Hezbollah, support from Iran, hoping to open up multiple fronts on Israel so they won't just have all their attention, all their military resources focused on Hamas and Gaza, but hoping to force the Israelis to have to fight on multiple fronts. Yeah, on that note, uh, Hezbollah fighters in Lebanon launched attacks on Israeli army posts and a northern border village on Sunday. Israel did retaliate with strikes in Lebanon as UN peacekeepers warn that border clashes are escalating. There was sporadic fire across the Israel-Lebanon border over the past week, and that has raised a lot of concerns. Hezbollah's attack on the Israeli farming community of Shtula, it's adjacent to the border fence, killed one Israeli and wounded three others. It is the worst border violence since a month-long war back in 2006. Iran, meanwhile, keeps warning the United States, Israel and the West that it will escalate things if Israel invades Gaza. The U.S. over the weekend, in a warning to Iran, announced a second aircraft carrier group, the Eisenhower, was moving to the eastern Mediterranean. It joins the Gerald Ford, which is the largest carrier in the world, and dozens of warships that the U.S. now has in the region. Yeah, the big concern there is up north, Jill. There's been a lot of back and forth uh, in an Israeli counterattack. A Reuters journalist was killed on the Lebanon side of the border, uh, which has gotten a lot of attention. But in talking to a a very well-placed source of ours um, in Lebanon over the weekend, the sense they get is that Hezbollah is ready and looking to engage with the Israelis here. So that's something that uh, Israel is very concerned about, just given the uh, strength of Hezbollah. You know, we often talk about the amount of money and weaponry that comes into Hamas. Well, Hezbollah is Hamas times several over in terms of their missile count, in terms of the Iranian support. Hezbollah is a huge force that predates Hamas. Uh, Remember, Hezbollah blew up the U.S. Marine barracks in Lebanon, killing more than 200 Marines back there in the early 80s. They've been in place for four decades now in Lebanon. They uh, have a lot of power there and in Syria and keep a very open line with the Iranians. So that is a big concern. And that is one of the things the Americans are most concerned about as well. And has been trying to send the message to Iran, do not escalate these things further. At the same time, the U.S. tries to send a message militarily. The U.S. is engaged in 24-7 diplomacy, what they call shuttle diplomacy around the region, literally flying between almost every capital in the neighborhood. Tony Blinken, Secretary of State, was in Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Qatar. Over the weekend, he heads back to Israel today, trying to get Arab leaders on board with eliminating Hamas. Most of the Arab leaders right now just interested in a ceasefire, uh, condemning Israel, warning Israel about the civilian death toll in Gaza. One of the major focuses has been Egypt. That's where Blinken was on Sunday. 
Egypt has a border with Gaza, has a border crossing with Gaza, though so far they have committed to not taking a single Palestinian refugee from Gaza. That's actually a move that's been praised by Hamas. Egypt, while they do not love Hamas, they don't want the Palestinians to become their problem. They say they don't have the resources, the room, and frankly, the desire to take in hundreds of thousands of Palestinians into the Sinai Desert, uh, despite having a lot of room there. They want the Palestinians to stay in Gaza. And so there's uh, an economist story out over the weekend where the U.S., among others, are trying to figure out if there's a price they can pay, literally pay the Egyptians to take refugees in from Gaza. Uh, Palestinian refugees are a huge issue across the region. There are some going back 80 years in Lebanon, Jordan, have never really been incorporated into the society, despite now being four, five, six generations in. And Egypt doesn't want to have its own Palestinian refugee situation on its hands, where there's no resolute date or finite date of when they would return to Gaza. Meanwhile, what do we know, Moshe, about the hostages at this point and any sort of efforts to get them out? We know at least a dozen Americans are thought to be held hostage right now in Gaza, including uh, a Long Islander, actually, Omer Nutra, uh, which is getting a lot of attention here. His his parents, like all of the families of all of the hostages, just, just making pleas for any sort of help. I just saw on CNN, the U.S. not um, ruling out potentially going in with troops to get the American hostages out. But one of the issues, according to some reports, is that they just have no idea where they are. A major problem, right? If you want to go and get your hostages, you don't know where they are. And so that is what has left uh, key units on those ships, those aircraft carrier groups you mentioned earlier, Jill, uh, from going into Gaza at this point. Right now, we mentioned the shuttle diplomacy earlier when the uh, Secretary of State was in Doha in Qatar over the weekend. He's engaged the Qataris, who are a middleman of sorts between every single country in the Middle East. They handle negotiations with Iran, with the Taliban, and with Hamas. Apparently, there have been talks about an initial exchange of hostages. Hamas is looking for all women and teenagers who've been convicted of crimes but and are currently being held in Israeli prison as part of an exchange there. Unclear how far that would go. The Israeli count right now, they initially thought it was 150. It appears, based on the latest reporting on Sunday afternoon, it's 126 hostages being held inside Gaza. You mentioned some American. The French have mentioned they have a few as well. And so this is international at this point. Some of those folks, by the way, dual citizens, both Israeli and another nationality. And there is a sense that Hamas knows it's overplayed its card here and it, it has lost the PR war in regards to certain aspects by taking these international hostages, especially the grandparents, the small children, the babies. There was a propaganda video related to that put out over the weekend that I won't go further in depth with. But that's certainly a, a huge issue here. Hamas has claimed, by the way, that in Israeli airstrikes, that they've killed 22 of their own hostages. Hamas has provided no evidence for this number, but it's part of the kind of psychological warfare you are watching here. So, Jill, there's a lot happening here. You know, as we spoke last week, that we had this massive terror attack. We know Hamas is the culprit. They also have hostages. Israel is figuring out what its response needs to be, whether it's falling into a Hamas trap here, but it does need to respond and take out the air terror infrastructure without killing too many civilians and bring home the hostages without stirring up the hornet's nest of a 300 million person Arab world, as well as not losing the sympathy that they do have in certain parts of the West. All of that is the challenge in the coming weeks. So it's an immense challenge. And by the way, it comes, Jill, this is the same Israeli government that had the intelligence failure, right, that led to this terror attack. So 
there's a feeling within the country that this government has failed them, but now they're putting the trust in this government, now a unity government, they've brought in others to now get them out of the failure of last weekend. I'll stop right there. But you can get a sense, I think, of the larger challenge here. And hold on. You have a humanitarian crisis unfolding in Gaza, which was already a humanitarian crisis. Hamas has no concerns for his own citizens. Egypt won't let anybody in. And this is where you find yourself on October 16th. All right. We have plenty of more news to get to. But now we want to just thank some of our sponsors. We have talked a lot on this podcast about how we only want to endorse things that we really love. And Bolin Branch Bedding and Sheets is definitely one of those things. We have had them for a few months in my house, and we absolutely love them. We're now clearly in the fall, but Bolin Branch definitely made the summer of record heat a bit easier. They have very soft and breathable sheets. Bolin Branch, that is B-O-L-L and Branch Sheets. They are made with organic cotton. And without some of the harsh chemicals that are used by other brands, the sheets actually get softer with every wash. I can attest to that. Right now, they are offering a special deal to the MoNews community. You can get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code MoNews at BolandBranch.com. That is BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is MoNews, M-O-N-E-W-S. There are some exclusions, so see the site for details. And we also want to thank another longtime sponsor here at Mo News, AG1. I first tried the Athletic Greens AG1 powder last year when I was having trouble getting all my nutrients. It's just one scoop of the AG1 powder with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, it's quick, and it lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins and minerals. It also includes pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. This is essentially a replacement for all those vitamins out there. You know this is basically one-stop shopping with AG1, and they're offering a special deal to the Mo News community with your first purchase of AG1. Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 when you're on the go. You can visit right now drinkag1.com. That is drinkag, the number one, dot com slash Mo News to take advantage of this offer where you can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it just one time for just one month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash Mo News for this special deal to really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from Politico, the latest on the race to be the next Speaker of the House, Republican Congressman Jim Jordan racing to shore up his speaker bid as his supporters urge him to take the fight to the House floor early this week to build public pressure on his skeptics. The Ohio Republican telling Politico that he wants to be able to go to the floor on Tuesday, giving him just about 24 hours to try to flip more than 50 Republican lawmakers who signaled in a secret ballot vote on Friday that they are not going to support him. It is an uphill climb and one that Jordan is trying to pull off in record time. It took former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, if you remember, almost two months of behind-the-scenes maneuvering to be ultimately crowned in January. And Jordan is facing a steeper lift compared to McCarthy, who needed to win over 30 members of his caucus ahead of his vote. And remember, it still took McCarthy, after those two months and 30 members, 15 tries on the floor uh, to become speaker for, what was that, about nine months. Right, and Jordan is voicing confidence that he will be able to avoid becoming the latest Republican to be rejected by an increasingly divided conference where frustrations remain really high after eight GOP lawmakers joined with Democrats to oust McCarthy. Last week, Majority Leader Steve Scalise scrapped his own speaker bid less than 48 hours after Majority Conference had picked him as their next leader. 
because he knew that he just couldn't get to the number of votes that are necessary. Yeah, so they vote out McCarthy. Scalise is nominated, can't get it, drops out. Now Jordan nominated. The question is whether he can win over his caucus. Remember, it's a very slim Republican majority. You can only lose four votes. There's also those eight to 10 malcontents, as one rep told me, that might make life challenging, those eight that took out McCarthy alongside Democrats. <laughs> malcontents, I like that. Well, just like, there are people with Republican caucus at this point that are just like, we're so annoyed. Can we just get these eight people out of Congress? <laughs> like, nothing ever makes them happy. They pass no legislation. They just create constant problems for us. Like, what is, what is their purpose? And so, you're seeing this really explode now within the caucus. We're going on two weeks without a speaker. Congress effectively uh, unable to do anything right now without a speaker. Now, the issue for Jordan is less the right wing malcontents. They're actually on board with him. You know, he's very MAGA, very promoted by Trump. His issue is the centrists, several dozen who were elected in Biden districts, meaning Biden won their district for president. But they're Republicans who won House seats, several of them, Jill, in New York State. It's one of the reasons Republicans got the majority in the midterms is they were able to win over some blue districts or purple districts, if you will. They don't like Jordan. They think he's too extreme. So can Jordan win over that group? Unclear at this point. Also, Jordan was asked over the weekend if he would go to the floor without a commitment for 217 votes, the necessary amount. And he didn't rule out that possibility, but he said, no, 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 I'll I'll get the votes, which means we could have another Kevin McCarthy-like scenario where you have vote after vote after vote, potentially. Again, Capitol Hill effectively frozen right now without a speaker over on the House side. There's a big aid package for Israel they want to pass, Ukraine. And keep in mind, the government shutdown that didn't happen. Remember, they kicked the can down the road six weeks? Well, that deadline, that new deadline is coming up in just a few weeks. And uh, Congress hasn't gotten to work on that because, again, no speaker. Right. And just some background on Jim Jordan. Uh, he was one of the Republicans who didn't want to certify the 2020 election results. So so that is what we're talking about. And that's why a lot of Republicans uh, not on board. Mosh, are you hearing any other names at this point? You know, one of the things that we said when this first went down is the next speaker might be someone you've never heard of before. You know, Scalise and Jordan were the known entities, but, you know, Scalise couldn't win over the right. Jordan can't win over the centrist, at least not so far. So really what you're talking about is you're going to need some sort of compromise candidate. By the way, there's a few Republicans on the centrist part of the party who are like, listen, can we just pick a candidate that wins a couple Democratic votes and call it a day, which in a previous you know, era would have been something you would consider, but we're so partisan now that that's not a thing. But there's centrists who are like, listen, the malcontents aren't going to like certain people. <laughs> right. Can we get some moderate Democrats who, by the way, know this will be a tough year and can tell their very purple districts, hey, listen, I work bipartisan. I elected a Republican speaker so we get stuff done. Will we see that sort of scenario? It doesn't appear so. So, you know, expect a scenario unless something shocking happens. Jim Jordan likely not the next speaker. So it's going to be another name. And to your earlier point about Jordan and uh, January 6th, that's a huge issue among the centrists. You know, Liz Cheney, former congresswoman, gave a whole speech warning that basically if Republicans make Jim Jordan their speaker, they're basically electing someone who doesn't believe in democracy. You know, he was involved in the January 6th overturning the election efforts. So this is a hugely divisive issue among Republicans. And so the country sits and waits and sees if they can, you know, come to some sort of compromise. From insider, as people across the U.S. relocate to Florida and Texas, 
Locals are feeling squeezed and they are now searching elsewhere for affordable homes. Over the last four years, the typical cost of a home in Texas has spiked 30 percent and 42 percent in Florida during the same time period. This is according to Realtor.com. These residents are increasingly searching for homes outside of their state, suggesting that they are willing to chase affordability across the country. For Texans, apparently the Midwest has emerged as popular recently because it is just by and large the most affordable region. That is according to Realtor.com. They say that they're seeing this trend of buyers looking for affordability. That is not super surprising. Texas has long been the go-to migration spot for Americans that were seeking reasonably priced housing and a low cost of living. But as 884,000 people moved to the state between April of 2020 and July of 2022, the cost of housing has soared. And many of these newcomers were out-of-staters who could afford to pay more for houses, which pushed the price up for everybody. Yeah, so as outsiders come in, Texans and Floridians are looking out right now. Uh, one example when it comes to cost right now from the Wall Street Journal, at the beginning of 2014, so just about 10 years ago, nearly two-thirds of homes in San Antonio were affordable for a median income family in America. By the end of last year, fewer than one-third of homes were affordable to a median income family. Jill, you mentioned the number just during COVID of nearly a million people moved in. If you look at the last 20 years, more than 9 million people have moved to Texas more than any other state. Uh, And so this has been an issue for some time, but it has exploded in the past two years. So where are Texans going now that everyone else is coming to Texas? Well, Wisconsin and Minnesota have experienced the largest uptick in search volume from Texas over the last year. Tennessee, Colorado, Missouri, also states Texans are looking for uh, to move to. I find the Wisconsin-Minnesota thing so interesting because Texas has this very warm summer and this relatively mild winter. Wisconsin and Minnesota, do these Texans know what they're in for? <laughs> as somebody who lived in Michigan for, <laughs> for a few years, I'm laughing as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, Texans, like, I know you're looking for affordability, but just like check the weather forecast for December and make sure that that is where you want to go. As for Florida major influx there. Prices have skyrocketed in Florida. So Floridians, some of them are looking to go somewhere else. Now, they're not looking as far as Texans are looking. Uh, The main searches for Floridians looking for homes, North Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama. So they're staying in the neighborhood, so to speak. From Bloomberg, Netflix recently shuttered the longstanding mail order DVD service that led to the closure of video stores around the world and ushered in the era of streaming. But now the company appears to be embracing brick and mortar. According to a new report, Netflix aims to open a network of stores offering retail, dining and live entertainment that leverage its TV shows and movies. Netflix not announcing what it will be selling at the locations. It's unclear if DVDs or any type of physical media will be part of the inventory. I vote for VHS. (laughs) (laughs) Beta. Get us some beta mags at the Netflix store. Yeah. (laughs) The streamer plans to open the first two of these Netflix house locations, as they're being called, in unannounced cities in 2025. And then they want to expand the concept to major cities around the world after that. So they, after they killed their blockbusters, they're going to go brick and mortar here, uh, spend Friday nights roaming through the aisles of your local Netflix store. No, as Netflix house. <laughs> as long as they bring back, do you remember at Blockbuster, they used to have like movie theater style candy and uh, popcorn? Oh, yes. Netflix. If you're listening to this, uh, and I hope you are, if you put those in the Netflix house, I will 
frequent Netflix house. I will become a member. I also want like an old school ID card. One of those, remember the blockbuster of course, cards? The Jill, royal like, blue like, and white. Yes. I still royal. have one somewhere. <laughs> A Netflix official tells Bloomberg, we've seen how much fans love to immerse themselves in the world of our movies and TV shows, and we've been thinking a lot about how to take that to the next level. We should note, this is not crazy to think about. You know, think the Disney Store, a major Netflix competitor. They've been doing retail, dining, live entertainment uh, for years. Netflix, as it takes on Disney here, is looking at what they're doing and saying, maybe we need to have places where people can congregate especially in this kind of post-COVID environment where people want to get together again and want to experience stuff in in person. So we'll keep tabs on this as to where the first Netflix houses will open and whether uh, they will provide ID cards, popcorn, and movie theater candy. (laughs) I feel like for the kids out there, they should just have some VHS tapes so they could see what we had to go through. We needed them. uh, You know, be kind, rewind. (laughs) I think they'll just have it in like a little museum corner at Netflix house. From Variety. Once again, Ice Spice. Recognize that voice. Moments after Travis Kelsey made a surprise appearance on Saturday's premiere of Saturday Night Live, hosted by Pete Davidson, the one and only Taylor Swift made a cameo of her own. Swift appeared on screen following a commercial break to introduce her friend Ice Spice for her second performance of the night. Swift last appeared on SNL for her fifth time back in 2021 when she delivered a 10-minute performance of All Too Well. Earlier in the night, an NFL Fox Sunday sketch mocked how much attention the league has been paying to Swift and Kelsey's rumored romance. After a lot of Swift puns in the sketch, Kenan Thompson turns to the camera and said, when we get back, we're going to speak with someone who actually wants to talk football. And with that, Kelsey popped up replying, yes, please, uh, most to a thundering <laughs> applause. Oh, he's one to speak. It's unclear, Jill, if Taylor and Travis are actually in a romantic relationship, but they are 100% in a PR relationship here. It's been amazing to watch these past few weeks. They were spotted separately holding hands going to a restaurant on a date night. Just throwing that out there. I'm sure that was totally organic (laughs) and not planned at all for the cameras. Neither neither of them came on stage at the end of the show, but Pete Davidson thanked both of them. Ever since Taylor first showed up at a Chiefs game a few weeks ago to cheer on Kelsey, she has become the topic of conversation for the NFL and everything around the NFL. Jill, the reaction, by the way, very divisive. There are some people who are like loving this and some people are like, Mosh, if you post one more thing about Travis and Taylor, I will unfollow your Instagram page. I'm like, wow. Really? Very, I mean, there's there's passion about the Middle East. That's like next level <laughs> stuff. And then like below that, Travis and Taylor. <laughs> For unbiased, objective, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift news, see the Mo News Instagram account. I feel like people are like, can you do a trigger warning on the war? I'm like, and then some people are like, can you do a trigger warning on Travis and Taylor? I was like, why does, why does this topic upset you so much? Anyway, Uh, This is a huge week for Swift personally. It's the opening of her film, the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. So that film of her concert, if you couldn't get to the concert and pay those crazy ticket prices, that's already brought in $39 million on its opening day. And so clearly people are already uh, making their dates to the theater version of Taylor's concert. My niece and sister-in-law saw it on Friday and said it was so fun. And it was like a mosh pit of kids dancing in the front. So it is becoming an experience, not just a movie that you sit and watch. Is that like a Netflix house experience? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that what exactly. Is going to be? <laughs> From the New York Post, Suzanne Summers lost her years long battle with cancer just one day before her 77th birthday. 
The actress died early Sunday morning at the age of 76. Her publicist saying, quote, Suzanne Summers passed away peacefully at home in the early morning hours of October 15th. She survived an aggressive form of breast cancer for over 23 years. She was surrounded by her loving husband, Alan, and her son, Bruce, and her immediate family. Her press person also saying that her family had planned to gather on what would have been her 77th birthday today on Monday. And instead, they will celebrate her extraordinary life and want to thank her millions of fans and followers who loved her dearly. Such a loss. The tragic news comes less than three months after her breast cancer returned. Um, She fought cancer, Jill, for 50 years. Uh, She was first diagnosed with skin cancer in her 20s and 30s, uh, continued to fight that then experienced breast cancer for the first time nearly three decades ago, has continued to fight that. She told Entertainment Weekly back in July, I've been living with cancer since my 20s, and every time that little fucker pops up, I continue to bat it back. I do my best to not let this insidious disease control me. So she fought this uh, bravely. Jill, openly, many people might remember her from Three's Company back in the day, and then others uh, more recently, step by step. Or from her thigh master. She helped revolutionize. She was the face (laughs) of Thighmaster. That was like the, like in the way, way pre, 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 pre Ozempic era, you were going to lose weight and uh, develop muscle with the Thighmaster. And Suzanne Summers was the face of it. But it was like her. There was Jane Fonda, of course, who revolutionized working out at home. And now Peloton has taken over that. But Suzanne Summers was on that trend years ago. All right, now time for On This Day in History. On this October 16th, we're going to begin in 1964 on this day. China detonates its first atomic bomb. At that moment, only a handful of countries had uh, nuclear power. Uh, Still today, it's still uh, less than a dozen. U.S., Russia, China, the U.K., France, North Korea, Pakistan, and India, and then with an asterisk, I'll say Israel, which does not admit to having nuclear weapons, but everyone knows they have it. So there's about nine countries in the world right now with nuclear weapons, and that was a big moment in 64 when China uh, really got on the international stage and says, we have one too. Okay, we're going to say in the 1960s here, on this day in 1968, this is a famous image, an iconic image you'd be familiar with. During the Olympic award ceremony for the 200-meter race in Mexico City at those summer games in 68, American sprinters Tommy Smith and John Carlos gave the Black Power salute, for which they were later ordered to leave the games. You might remember that, both of them with their fists in the air. It was just months after Martin Luther King was assassinated. They wanted to protest racism in America and all the issues African Americans were facing. At the time, Their actions doing the Black Power salute from the podium at the Olympics was met with boos in the American press. They were ridiculed. Uh, One famous sports writer calling them black-skinned stormtroopers. The IOC expelled them from the games. It would be decades later that they would be praised for their courage. And on this day in 1978, Karol Wojtyla of Poland was elected pope. You might be more familiar with him as John Paul II, Pope John Paul II. He was the first non-Italian pope in more than 450 years. He would serve as pope until 2005. All right, we're going to throw it back a little bit with this pop culture section of On This Day, Jill. On this week, 72 years ago, I Love Lucy, starring Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, and the crew premiered on CBS. Jill, did you catch that Aaron Sorkin, uh, Lucille Ball movie a couple years ago? So can I admit that I I could not get through it? 
I watched like 10 <laughs> minutes and I'm like, not what I signed up for. I, I want to laugh. I, I I just couldn't get through it. It was the most serious <laughs> uh, non-laugh version of Lucille Ball's life. Uh, very Aaron Sorkin, you know, very kind of staccato dialogue. It takes you inside a couple of weeks dealing with the fact that, you know, Desi at the time was being accused of being a communist and she was too. I found it historically fascinating, but I hear you <laughs> on that. I was in a movie theater to watch it, not at home. So I right. sort of said that is the problem. Yeah. If you turn on a movie at home <laughs> and it's it's a little slow, I'm um, for me anyway, I'm sleeping. All right, on this date in 1976. Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life album hit number one. Jill, this is considered one of the top five albums of all time. I wish as Isn't She Lovely, Sir Duke. Just an amazing, amazing album that stands the test of time, in my humble opinion. Isn't She Lovely. For uh, Jill's full edition of Isn't She Lovely, (laughs) you can join the premium podcast. (laughs) All right, staying with some classic music here, Jill, prepare your rendition. On this date in 1982... He's not touching it, everyone. Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You, which was a country hit, the number one hit in 1974, becomes the number one hit again on this day in 1982. It was used in the movie The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. So that made I Will Always Love You the first song to top the Billboard charts twice. It would then, of course, some of you might only be familiar with the Whitney Houston version of the Dolly Parton song, I Will Always Love You. She would re-record it and go on to awards and acclaim for her version of it, Whitney's version of it in the 90s. And finally, this week in the year 2000, 23 years ago, a show that we think is pretty, pretty good (laughs) came out. Curb Your Enthusiasm hit HBO uh, this week in the year 2000. Of Seinfeld, I feel like Larry David is the least expected person associated with that show. I feel like to have had a second success. I, I feel like he was just this curmudgeon, obviously the character of George based in loosely on his life. It, it's shocking in a way that he has managed to have this incredible show. Right. Playing himself, just like it's literally the same plot every time, right? Like Larry pisses everybody off. <laughs> uh, and, right? Like, like how does it start? How do they weave it together? And how does like everything get confused and everyone be mad at him at the end? And yet it works. So the show first premiered, Jill, 23 years ago. Now it doesn't come out annually. So there's actually only been 11 seasons of it. Season 12, which they believe is the final, final, final season of Curb will be out in the coming months, according to HBO. All right, and that is a wrap for us. A big thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And thanks to all of you. We've seen a huge influx of people joining Mo News Premium over the weekend. Uh, We're doing a lot of in-depth coverage over there, answering your questions about the conflict, the history, providing deep dives, behind-the-scenes content. And so you could join Mo News Premium by heading over to mo.news slash premium. You get access to the extra content, but also it's a way to support what we're doing here at Mo News, the daily podcast, the daily newsletter, the 24-7 coverage on the Instagram account. By joining Mo News Premium, you support our independent journalism, and we're so grateful to all of you. So go check that out over at mo.news slash premium. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.